0: Hi, this is Lisa and Jason from the Designated Quizzers podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave
1: us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to
0: me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to... Educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
1: Episode 223 TV Dads. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. We're back from a short, unintentional break, but we're back, and this week we've got something very special lined up. Not only will we be running down our top five favorite TV dads this episode, we're joined by a very special guest. This week we're joined by Kean Cruz. Kean is a writer, a freelance consultant, and and if I'm not mistaken, Kian, you're, uh, you're, an, you're a dad too, isn't that right? Absolutely. Yes. And Kian, you've also written uh, cultural criticism for for Playboy magazine, a yeah, personal favorite of mine, by the way. I only read it from the articles. Of course. Um, and you've also written for Vulture, the Toronto International Film Festival. Derek's a big fan of TIFF. And Kian is also the author of the new book, Dad Bod, which can probably be best described as, as a book of essays. That take kind of a philosophical look at fathers in pop culture so it's right up our alley and especially in the book the way Kean looks at these fathers in pop culture he takes a look at kind of what they can tell us about things like identity and masculinity and what it means to be a dad so anyway Kean, Derek and I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us I know you're in the middle of your book tour so welcome to the show
2: well thanks so much for having me
1: now Derek Anything new in the world of pop culture for you? We've been away for a couple of weeks. Knowing you, you've probably been able to get a few things in. What's going on?
0: Yeah, I've had uh, an opportunity to take in a lot of stuff, and unfortunately, there is only one movie, and it's the a new movie that I just saw in the theater this week, and there are no documentaries. So, uh, you know, I'm going to disappoint the fans a little bit, but I, I watched a ton of TV, yep. and I know with our guests we we're gonna a lot to cover so i'm gonna sort of do speed round of sort of what i've been seeing what i've watched what i like for the most part these have all been pretty strong uh i will take a couple minutes to just dive into a couple of them but i'm just gonna start down start at the top of the list in no particular order and just rhyme through them here so first thing i watched uh was the boys season three on amazon it just finished up its third season if you've been watching this show and you've enjoyed it so far you're gonna love this new season i know it's already uh been picked up for season four so uh there's more boys to come Uh, it's obviously based on a comic book so there's a ton of source material for the uh the writers to to draw from but uh, i loved it i thought it was great i I, now it's not going to be for everybody because it's it's very graphic very dark a lot of swearing a lot of uh inappropriate sexual content uh not hardcore sex or anything like that but um it's not for everyone but if you've enjoyed the boy so far check out season three you're gonna love it see Uh, kian wouldn't mind that he's written for playboy so it's all good well there you go um I watched the first episode of a new series that just dropped on Amazon starring Chris Pratt uh, called The Terminalist. Chris Pratt, you might remember from Parks and Rec or Guardians of the Galaxy. It's been doing, it's been getting a lot of positive buzz, I think partly because it's new content and people love anything that's new and shiny. I watched the first episode, and I did not enjoy it at all. I thought it was kind of slow. I really don't have any reason or motivation to continue with this one. I know people have really liked it. I am not one of those people. I cannot recommend The Terminalist. Sorry, people. Uh, I watched the new star Trek series called star Trek, strange new worlds. It has been airing one episode a week for the last 10 weeks, the 10th and final episode of the first season dropped last week. This show got better with every episode. It is by far my absolute favorite star Trek series ever. It is so good. Chris, I know you're a fan of the original star Trek series. I think you would really enjoy this. The, The premise is that it's the, uh, enterprise, before Captain Kirk joined the Enterprise. So uh, it's got Captain Pike, and it's got Mr. Spock, who we know from Star Trek lore, was a part of the crew before Kirk joined, as well as a few other characters that have been introduced peripherally through some of the other shows. The production value is amazing. The performances are amazing. The characters are memorable. The shows are great. It's, I can't stress how good this show is. They are currently shooting season two, which should be available pretty soon. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. It's great. Uh, along that line, I've watched The Orville. Season three is now available on Disney+. The Orville is the Seth MacFarlane Star Trek love letter. We'll call it that. So Seth MacFarlane, people might know from Family Guy, American Dad, that kind of thing. Uh, Orville started as sort of a funny Star Trek, and then it sort of moved a little bit more into the serious side of what Star Trek has always been, where you've sort of got, what is the lesson we're trying to learn this week? It, it, but it still got some of that, Seth MacFarlane humor in it Uh, This last season, the episodes Because it's now airing on Hulu in the US And Disney Plus here in Canada uh, The episodes are running about an hour and ten minutes Each without any commercials So they definitely feel longer than A normal indicate a tv show and they're really taking advantage of the fact that they can make these shows longer by diving into some really heavy issues but draping it in the science fiction medium and if you've been enjoying the orville so far i think that this would be up your alley but maybe if you tried season one of the orville and you didn't care for it because you thought it wasn't serious enough check out season three it's very very good it's 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 very strong um the next one i watched was a series on hbo called the man who fell to earth now, some people may recognize that title because David Bowie starred in a movie, I want to say, in the 70s or maybe even in the early 80s with the same title. This miniseries on HBO was eight 8 one-hour episodes, and it's sort of a reimagining, sort of a sequel of that. So if you don't know anything about the previous um, IP, uh, if you, because it's based on a book, if you haven't read the book, don't worry about it. This one, you don't need any backstory to understand this. They, they assume you know nothing going in. It's really good. It stars uh, Atuete Achuit, uh, 4 I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, and oh my God, the the woman, I can't remember her name, Naomi something. She was the woman who played Money Penny in the new James Bond series. Uh, they're the two leads of this. It's fantastic. If you like sci fi, this is going to be something to check out. It's on HBO, it's called The Man Who Fell to Earth. And then uh, my last TV show, before I get into my movie here, a friend of mine recommended I check out something called Taskmaster. It's a British show. I've been able to find them on YouTube. And it's a a game show, but they bring on, uh, I think it's five or six contestants, and then they give them tasks or um, puzzles to solve. But the instructions are sometimes a little ambiguous. So it's this combination of how clever and creative can you be to solve the puzzle, but also how clever and creative can you be to interpret the rules in a way that will give you an advantage over the other contestants. And it's, it's full of that British humor. Uh, they cut back and forth between the contestants in front of a, a panel and an audience, and then they go to the actual cut segments where they do the challenges. I've watched a few episodes so far. It's been quite strong. So, Matt, if you're listening, thank you for the reco. And then finally, I had a chance to go to the theater this week and see the new Marvel movie, the 29th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the fourth installment of Thor. This one was called Thor Love and Thunder. And I really enjoyed it. After the last few Marvel movies, in my opinion, were not that great, especially the last Dr. Strange one, I did not like at all. This Thor one brings you right back into it. If you liked Thor Ragnarok, I think you're really going to love Thor Love and Thunder. It was quite strong. So anyway, that's my uh, my long list of what I've been up to over the last uh, few weeks. Keen, Derek has a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any small children at home, so yeah. I have a lot of time to watch no TV kidding. late into the evening.
1: Man, if I didn't have kids, I'd be able to watch 8 million things a week, too. can. Uh, I know that you're a dad and you're obviously on the, the book tour and stuff, but have you been able to partake in any pop culture recently? You can share with us.
2: Well, the only thing that I, that I get to is because it's the thing that I watch with my wife. It's the way we relax on Friday nights as we watch RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: Oh, nice. Nice.
2: And this is a very interesting season because it's the champion. It's like the Champions League mm-hmm. of RuPaul's. It's the All Stars where they've actually only included people who have won another RuPaul's, and so it's the creme de la creme. But what's really weird about it is that there's no criticism. Um, I think this was dug up by somebody on the internet that all of the all of the queens put in their contracts that they would not allow. The judges to criticize them so instead it's all positive reinforcement and no negative or you know feedback or criticism which is almost like taking a the spice out of the the drag race experience so did you enjoy it though um i i enjoy it just because the performances are so Mm -hmm. top-notch you know and the queens have such excellent personality and one thing that's really lovely about all stars versus like a regular round of rupaul's drag race Mm -hmm. is that um They have so much more confidence. You know, they're not, this isn't their first time on television. Right. So all the queens are able to really be themselves and throw themselves more into it and do wilder things because of it.
1: Nice. Okay. Okay. I got one for you guys. Now, as you may know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Meatballs. I may have mentioned that once or twice around here. I'm not sure though.
0: Chris, it was on TV today. Kay asked if I wanted to watch (laughs) it. I'm like, not a chance. Anything other than Meatballs.
1: (laughs) You're so wrong. Anyway, so for the last 40 years, I have absolutely refused to watch any of the sequels. I think there's like four movies in total or something. So I had some downtime last week and I had to do something. So I found Meatballs part two on the streaming services. And after 40 long years, I finally decided that I would go ahead and watch it. I'll admit it was partly out of curiosity and partly just because I was bored. So, Derek, one of these days we should do a top five list of the worst movies ever made. And let me tell you, (laughs) Meatballs Part 2 will be at the top of the list. Wow. It was the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I didn't even make it through to the end. It has nothing to do with the first movie. None Was of the same characters. Was
0: it called Meatballs 2 Electric Boogaloo?
1: No, that, that would be uh, an improvement. It'd be so much better. Like, none of the characters are the same. It's not even at the same camp. And so, from what I understand, some, like, a bunch of amateurs were making this low-budget, crappy movie about camp. And the studio bought it and just put Meatballs Part 2 on it and released this garbage. I held out for 40 years. Uh, let me tell you, I never should have given in and watched the damn thing. But anyway, here we go here's your dad joke of the week Derek since Kian is our guest this week and since he wrote a book all about dads I thought it would be only right if we asked him to tell a dad joke this week so so Kean, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here but any chance that you'd like to tell a dad joke for us here on the show
2: Oh, for sure for sure awesome. let me think Kian it's a low bar you're, okay. you're gonna be just fine <laughs> okay let me trip over it um, have you heard about the price of chimneys Oh, can I guess this one? Are yeah, they are they on the house? Oh, actually they're through the roof. Oh.
1: Kian, can you come back every week and do this with us?
0: I your head counselor. I did not enjoy this anymore the second time. <laughs> What's going on? What's wrong? Never seen it. Oh, Never wow. interested in seeing it. No desire to see it. Interesting. Was not interested at all. Okay, well, I paid $200 for these shoes, but I mean on the best. It's certainly tame by today's standards. There's a very fat pair of pants hanging from the flagpole this morning. It is not something I think I ever need to see again. Oh,
1: no! Matt
2: Damon. Matt Damon.
1: Alright gentlemen, we are going to be running down our top 5 TV dads. And so since Kean's our guest this week, we'll let him go first. Let's start with our number 5 and work our way up to number 1. So Kean, your number 5 TV dad of all time is
2: Oberyn Martell from the Game of Thrones.
1: Ooh. Wow. And
2: and, and the reason the reason is every other dad in the Game of Thrones mm-hmm. is uh, is hot garbage. Like ned stark doesn't prepare his kids to for the political realities that they're living in robert baratheon is totally absent spending all of his time like whining and, and dining uh the the many strumpets that live in the castle Tywin lannister uses his kids as pawns on a chessboard destroying their sense of self Roose bolton sacrifices his child to some dark god so all we got left is Oberyn with Something like six daughters from right. from six different women from different classes in society. and they loved him enough that after he was, I mean, spoiler, after something happened to him, they went out on a pretty hardcore revenge mission that that took over their lives. Like that's real love. <laughs> so that's a real dad.
0: Jeez, that's a, that's that's a, a great, that great pick now a, that you put it in, I, I, so you said it, and I thought, you p- you picked wrong, and then you just justified it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, he's got a blink. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Oh boy, what a way to start this list this week, man. That's a wow. killer one. Literally a killer pick. Okay, <laughs> so Derek, your number
0: five TV dad, can it hold right. up to that one? I don't know, but go for it. Well, I don't I don't know if it will. So a couple of things just before I jump into my list. I I really had a hard time ranking these picks one mm-hmm. to five. So yeah. I'm just gonna do them chronologically based on when the show they appeared on. Debuted, So I'm going to start Uh, with the oldest show and work my way to the newest show. I figured that that was the only – I couldn't think of a better way to do it other than alphabetically, but that makes more sense to me. I also just – so when we do these lists, a lot of time I get feedback, especially from some of my friends that listen to the show, where I get a lot of crap. Why didn't you pick this? Why didn't you pick that? So I'm going to head that off at the pass right now and say I'm not going to pick a dad from a show I never watched. Here's a list of 10 shows I've never watched. These people will not be on my list. Full House, Family Matters. Home improvement. Everyone loves Raymond. This is us. Blackish, Mad Men, The Sopranos, Friday Night Lights, Shits Creek, and The Wonder Years. So I haven't seen any of those shows. So none of those dads are gonna be on this list. Don't yell at me because you think they should be on the list. I haven't seen the show. I, I have no no leg to stand on. So with that out of the way. Hold on. You you've I never know. seen
1: Shits Creek.
2: That's kind of wild.
0: That's no. Amazing. No. And,
2: and you know the really cool thing,
0: Kean,
1: is you can say Shits Creek, but you can't say No, of course not. You know, it's so funny. So they be they beep it out. Go figure.
0: Yep. Okay. So Number five. Uh, starting with the starting with the oldest show on my list. I'm going with the show that debuted in 19, 1985 Ooh. Growing pains. The dad i picked is oh. Dr. Jason Seaver, oh, played back. by Alan Thick. Yeah, that's good. So great hair, great I, voice. This is a great show. I mean I, I have very fond memories of the show. It ran from eighty five to ninety two. Uh, he was in 167 episodes, which was every episode of the show. He was the stay-at-home dad before stay-at-home dads were a thing. And he was a psychiatrist. So, you know, when he was, like, providing advice to the family and, and being the parent to the children and trying to resolve problems and, and that kind of thing, he knew what he was talking about. He was a trained professional. And I think a lot of shows, you have the dad give those words of wisdom, but it's like, eh, do they really know what they're talking about? <laughs> when Jason Siever gave this advice... You knew he knew what he was talking about, so he had to make the list. So my number five pick, Dr. Jason Seaver, played by Alan Thicke from Growing Pains. I can get on
1: board with that one. That's a good one. My number five might surprise you a bit here, Derek. I'm going with Burt Hummel. You probably don't even know who this is. Don't know who that is. Played by actor Michael Malley from the show Glee. Have you ever seen Glee? Not a single episode. Mm. I remember when this show debuted, it was back in 2009, there was all this hype about this new show that was coming out, because I read about it in Entertainment Weekly, and so I told my wife about it. I'm like, you know, this, this sounds like a show you might like, honey. You know, I think you should watch this. So we watched it right from the beginning. Um, for me, overall, the show was just okay. You know, I mean, it had its moments, but it, it wasn't the greatest. It was, not for me, at least. But there was always one thing that stood out to me on that show. And, Keen, have you ever seen Glee? Oh man maybe
2: in like 2009 but not since then
1: (laughs) so there was this character named Kurt Hummel and he was played by uh, actor Chris Colfer and his character was openly gay and the whole show was really about sort of the struggles that a lot of these teenage characters had and you know it's just hard to make it through high school right so Kurt was gay and his dad was this single dad and he was like this man's man kind of guy he was a mechanic and he liked football, and he had this sort of stereotypical macho exterior going on. And when his son comes out as gay, his dad stands behind him 100%. And, you know, you kind of expected a dad like this maybe to, you know, get angry or play on that stereotype of that sort of macho, homophobic type of dad. But he doesn't. And, and, and I remember one episode, he even gets up on stage, and he dances to that, uh, the Beyonce song, you know, that single ladies. If you like it, you better put a ring on it. That one. He gets up and dances. He does it as a graduation gift for his son. So I've always loved shows and characters that kind of break away from traditional sort of stereotypes. And this is one that's always stood out to me. I think he's a great character. He loved his son no matter what. He was a great TV dad. So I feel like he makes number five on my list. So that's where I'm Mm -hmm. going with. Uh, Number four, uh, Kian, who do you got?
2: Um going very recent for this one and and also part of the inspiration for writing dad bod and i should similar to derek i have a bit of a caveat all my dads are drawn from my book so uh i couldn't say all the best the top five dads from tv from all time it's just the ones that i wrote about so number four is mando also known as din jaran from the mandalorian and this is a bit of a cheat because he's not a you know he's a surrogate father figure it's not a not the biological father of baby yoda mm-hmm. um but the reason i had to pick it was because the whole show is basically a reskin of uh, the old japanese Jedi Geki films uh, lone wolf and cub yep which is such um a huge archetype for me the whole concept of a rough tough quiet incredibly capable dude killer usually you know, living roaming, I should say a violent world and having a baby in tow or a child in tow. That really, ah, that just hits me right in my heartstrings every single time. And the Mandalorian is a great contemporary example of that, that I would say takes the ar- archetype in a really cool direction because he's able to, to give the kid up at the end. You know, he's able to say, I've taken it this far, but you need something else. You need something more. And I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of dads to do they sort of take on the mantle of father too hard. They can't give it up. So for, for Dinjarin to give that up, I think speaks to a very cool transcendence of that role. Derek, uh, Kian has
1: really brought his a game this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, Those no, I'm like, picks, I thought my number four pick was strong, wow. but that's uh, going to be tough to beat here. But Not I actually st- have some similar themes with my number four pick. What do hmm. you got? All right. So, uh, I'm going with, from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that debuted in 1990, yes. I'm going with Philip Banks, Uncle nice Phil, by James Avery. Oh, yeah. So, to your point, we all know him, the TV audience knows him as Uncle Phil, because the show revolves around Will Smith, and he plays Will's uncle. But you gotta remember, Phil Banks, the character Phil Banks, was a father to originally three children, and then they introduced him four children towards the end of the child, towards the end of the show. And the whole idea is that um Will Smith's character does not have a father figure in his life and he's getting into trouble and so his mother sends him to live with his aunt and his uncle and his cousins and so uncle phil becomes the father he never had the positive influence here's a, a man of color who has uh, overcome diversity who has um you know done very well um uh, w- with his family with his career he's a lawyer he eventually becomes a judge in the show like he is the pinnacle of of what everyone aspires to be he's living the american dream in the most positive way and yet he has struggled against diversity his entire life so he can provide those life lessons to his children even though he's providing his children and in this case will who is his nephew with opportunities and finances that that you know he never had he's also able to impart that real life experience and wisdom and and much like my previous uh, pick with uh with um alan thick's character in growing pain who's a doctor in this case uncle phil's a lawyer uncle phil is a judge like he has not only lived it; he is now has a career where he is able to defend those who who need it or persecute those who who deserve persecution, uh, prosecution rather, um, in the legal arena. So, you know, I, I think no list of TV dads is complete without uh, you know the Honorable Philip Banks on the list. Oh, well, that's a good pick. I like that one. Okay, my number four.
1: I'm going with Tony Maselli. Tony Danza on Who's the Boss. It ran from '84 to '92, and in it. As I'm sure everybody remembers, he plays this uh, former professional baseball player, and he is just ingrained in the fabric of New York City. He's Italian. He lives in this Italian neighborhood in Brooklyn. Like he's just part of the neighborhood, right? But it's not a very good neighborhood to raise a kid in. Like he's he's a single dad because his wife died, and his daughter Samantha, played by Alyssa Milano, uh, she gets in a fight and she gets this black eye. So he decides that's it. I'm moving you know can't raise a kid here. And so he moves to Connecticut and takes a job as a live-in housekeeper for this rich female executive and the show flips a lot of stereotypes on their heads. Like I mean in this case the woman is the breadwinner, the man is the homemaker and back in the 80s that was not very common to happen. And and it also really plays on that macho Italian stereotype because they make Tony sensitive and he's like caring. You know, and and then he becomes a role model for Angela's son Jonathan, Jonathan. And so, I, for all those
0: reasons, I think he makes a great TV dad, and he's number four on my list. So that's why I go with uh, Chris. He was, if we needed to make a top six list, mm-hmm. he was my number six pick. I think great. it's a great pick. The yeah. fact that it's you take that gender role at the time of the male housekeeper, this macho guy having to take on what has been traditionally a female. Uh, role at the time in society and and sort of swallow his pride to do what's best for his daughter, yeah. Believe me, it, he was right there with Jason Seaver. Those were my five six. So I'm glad yeah. you got him on the list. Yeah, he
1: did it. He did it all just to make a better life for his daughter. So I thought it kind of endeared him to me. All right, uh, number three, Kean, Who do you got?
2: Uh, so for me, number three is uh, riffing on a similar similar vibe as your number five, Chris, mm-hmm. which is Major Garland Briggs from Twin Peaks. Oh, so. He comes off kind of if you if you were to look at him, I mean, he's a military man. He's a very high-ranking military officer, and he has that kind of uh, you know staccato delivery, like you would expect from an authoritarian figure. And yet, the way that's all spun is that so his son's going through a lot of hard times. Twin Peaks is a weird place, um, and he tries to connect with him authentically and emotionally, aware of his son's emotional needs. Bobby Briggs and um putting himself out there in a way that you would have i would have never expected from the regular gruff military figure so again he's he's that stereotype on the outside but then completely inverted through his activity so much so that um when they see that bobby's having a hard time they like take him to a psychiatrist which would be the totally normal thing that you would do and then when the psychiatrist says i'd like to meet with bobby alone they say i mean after initially." having some trouble with it they they accept it they say okay this is what our son needs not our support directly but the support of a professional
1: oh it's man I tell pick. you bringing the goods all right uh number 3 Derek who do you got
0: all right uh we moved to uh, a show that ran from 1993 to 2004 that show is frasier and I'm picking frasier's dad Ooh. martin crane played by the great john mahoney so For those people who maybe are a little younger, there was this show in the 80s you might have heard of called Cheers, and Frazier was a supporting character introduced pretty early on in the show, and uh, eventually was the only person from Cheers to get a spinoff, and then the spinoff ran 11 seasons and just won every award you could think of part of i think what really made the show Frazier work was that the title character played by kelsey Grammer, was like this stuck up snobbish guy and then his dad has to move in with him in the very first episode and his dad is this down-to-earth cop retired police officer and he's not stuck up he didn't come from money even though his son has now been this very successful doctor and so you have this uh this this you know, dichotomy between these two characters, this juxtaposition uh, between uh, Martin, the dad, and then Fraser, uh the son, and, and Niles, Crane as well, the son, the two sons, they're both sort of stuck-up snobs, well, not sort of, they are, they're both stuck-up snobs. But you have this dad who, even though he has a very difficult time relating to these kids, and there's a lot of episodes where there's flashbacks, where you see them as little kids, where they're just, the dad doesn't get them and doesn't understand them. Even though there are so many differences between them at the end of the day He's still their father and he's still able to, you know See the world in a way that they don't and he can provide that perspective and Sometimes it's played for laughs a lot of times it's played for laughs But there's a lot of episodes that really just you know, you know, it touches you right in the feels and you're like wow the dad really like it's clear that he loves these kids and even though they might see him as a burden sometimes and that they don't necessarily understand why he does what he does, or they may look down on him because of what he does. There's still this, this fatherly love despite these, uh, these obstacles that he's had to clearly had to face over the years. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think he needs to be on there. And so Martin Crane is my number three from Frazier. There was one other spinoff from cheers, by the way,
1: the Tortellis. they had a spinoff. Did they even last a full season? I don't think. I think they got canceled in the first season. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, but I do remember that. Um, Okay, so my number three. I'm going with Stephen Keaton, played by Peter Gross on Family Ties, which ran from 82 to 89. I always love the premise of this show. So the idea that these hippies from the 60s get married and then start a family, and then, of course their son is a staunch conservative who basically has a completely different set of values. I Again, I love the idea of flipping stereotypes on their heads, and this show really, really did that well. Uh, we usually think of the older generation, you know, or our parents, you know, as being conservative, and the kids as being more liberal-minded, but on family ties, it's the opposite, right? And it really reflected just this generational dichotomy that existed in the 80s. I mean the younger generation back in the 80s, they were more likely to like reject that counterculture of the 60s. They were drawn to Reagan's vision of America. And uh, that was definitely a thing back then. And I think the relationship between the parents and Alex, for me, was the heart and soul of the show. And the thing is, any other actor played uh, Alex B. Keaton other than Michael J. Fox, you would have probably hated him, (laughs) you know? But Michael J. Fox just made you love the guy. And and like I say, the dynamic between him and his dad, I thought was great. I thought it spoke for a generation, you know. Um, if, if, they, if they couldn't make this show today, there's no way. There's just it would just be such a different show. But but back in the '80s, when conservatives were focused on things like. Fiscal conservatism, and you know, not all this conspiracy theories and crap. It, it made for this great dynamic between a father and son. So that's my number three. So Kean, number two.
2: What do you got? Oh, I just want to add like a three A to that sure. dynamic of the of the father being liberal and the, the mm-hmm. son being conservative. There's a great Monty Python sketch with the same dynamic where the the father is a playwright and the son is a coal miner. Mm. Um, but they have the but they have the the personalities of... The father has the personality of a coal miner and the son has the personality of what you would expect from a playwright. So it's just nonstop screaming British clash but between Graham Chapman and Eric Idle. It's one of my favorite sketches of all time. And it, it hits that exact same bar of like father-son inversion.
1: Very cool. Very good one. Nice. All right.
2: Um, from my, my number, number two. Yeah. My number two is uh, Johnny Rose from Schitt's Creek. Mm. Um, because... So he similarly to a lot of the dads we are talking about he's an he's a stereotype that's been twisted on its ear a little bit he seems like a bumbling dad he seems like this disconnected dude because you know he ran this corporation for a bunch of years and he doesn't have any idea what's going on with his family but somehow he's actually competent he's he despite falling all over himself And and despite saying the wrong thing hilariously, because it's Eugene Levy, um, you know, nine times out of ten, he still has a real emotional connection that then builds over the course of the show. So much so that I would say he provides the emotional column that supports the rest of his family through this, you know, they they lost everything. So he supports them throughout that transition of trying to find a new path in their life. And he does that by doing it himself. He, he models the behavior of uh, trying and failing and trying again, which is what every single one of them needs to learn how to do to create a new life for themselves.
1: Very cool. Nice. All right. Good uh, Derek, what do you got
0: for number two? Uh, so number two, again, moving Ooh, chronologically through right. my list. I'm looking at a show that debuted in 1998. And I will say, we did our TV Moms episode probably a little less than a year ago. This is the only show that appeared on the mom's list and on my dad's list where I had the mom on my mom's list and the dad on my dad's list, and that's that 70s show, and this is Red Foreman, played by mm. Kirkwood Smith. So, um, the the premise, I mean, the, that 70s show is, is the family sitcom, but... Um, kirkwood smith uh, playing red foreman is not your typical dad uh he's gruff he's uh he's a, a veteran of the korean war and he's constantly calling the kids dumbass. And, but at the same time he's not doing it in a malicious way he's clearly trying to impart some experience and some wisdom on these kids and although he he plays that tough dad there are a lot of episodes where you can genuinely see his love and his care of these kids uh and and i mean so he's biologically the father of of uh two characters tova Torf- grace's character eric foreman and of um uh i can't remember the actress's name Lori foreman is the daughter and like so many dads He's completely blind to the daughter's shenanigans. He just—it's daddy's little girl. she can get away with anything. She, and, and clearly, the the character knows it and manipulates it dad all the time. And and I mean, you see that in real life and on TV all the time. Um, but at the same time, they have so many of the friends constantly coming over to the house, and you even have some of the friends eventually moving into the house. And there's a great episode—I want to say it's in season one—where um, the character of Hyde. Uh, they just, the, the parents, uh, Foreman's parents, uh, discover that Hyde's mom and dad have left and he's basically living alone. He's been abandoned and it's red Foreman that eventually just, you know, puts his foot down and he's like, you know, get in the car. Like you're coming to live with us. Like he realizes that this kid, even though it's not his biological son, Needs support. He needs the love of a family. And despite any sort of hardship financially that they may incur by bringing on this, this, you know, potentially third child into their home, he's doing it because it's the right thing to do. You look out for your own. And, uh, and he's, he's just, he's constantly portrayed as this, this dad that's just a provider. He's a good role model. I, again, despite being gruff and despite being hard, despite constantly like, you know, calling them dumbasses and all that, you can really get the sense. Uh, that he's just looking out for the best interest of these kids. He's trying to toughen them up for real life. He's trying to make sure that they are are ready to experience the world as he has already experienced it. So I, he makes my number two. I think if this was a ranked list, he would be my number two anyway, but it just so happens uh, chronologically it works out that way. So Red Foreman from that 70 show is my number two Dad. Nice. I like that one.
1: Okay, my number two, I'm going with James Evans Senior, played by John Amos on Good Times from 1974 to 1976, because he was only on the first three seasons. So he was James Evans Sr. because Jimmy Walker was James Evans Jr. or JJ for James Jr. for short. Man, oh man, John Amos was phenomenal on this show. He was this strict, strict guy. And he had a lot of anger in him, which pretty much came from the world around him that was prejudiced against him and and anyone that looked like him. Society was pretty much designed to, to keep him in the ghetto and keep him poor. He wasn't educated. He couldn't get a steady job. And all he wanted to do was provide for his family. And then that was basically taken away from him when they killed him off after the third season. Now, I think a lot of it was because as the actor, he disagreed with Norman Lear on some of the artistic direction of the show. So they, they canned him. But... As a, as a dad on the show, he was proud, he was loving, he was frustrated with the world he lived in, and he represented a huge part of the American demographic that basically did not have representation on TV at that time. Um, like most of Norman Lear's TV work, Good Times was, was groundbreaking, and James Evans Sr. was you know, a groundbreaking T V dad. So I think he deserves to stand up there with the best TV dads of all time. And speaking of the best T V dads of all time, we're at number one. So Kean, who's your number one T V dad?
2: My number one T V dad mm-hmm. is Bandit from the Australian cartoon show Bluey. <laughs> wow. So never heard of this, it. Let me set the stage. Here. I feel like I'm yeah. gonna need some context. So um so Bluey is an australian cartoon show runs about seven minutes long it's only about three it's 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 third season it was just announced today. Its third season it's coming out in august so on disney new. plus it's it's very new yeah and and for me bandit is the paragon of a contemporary father figure he oh sorry before i say all this i need to mention he's a dog like <laughs> he's a cartoon dog and he's a better dad than me not only that he's a better dad than anyone I know in real life uh, so let me dive into why he's constantly supporting his kids mental emotional and physical well-being through play that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell but when you start to unpack how that works in the show um, it's this inc- it's this incredible moment of social realism in something that could have been as like simple as Peppa Pig. And the show was initially pitched as a kind of Australian version of Peppa Pig. We're gonna have regular families, but they're gonna be animals in this cartoony fun land. But the whole show is based on the creator who wrote every single episode. There's a, there's I think there'll be up to to two hundred and something episodes when the third season is released on actually playing with his two daughters, who are the ages of the two kids in the show. And so every episode revolves around the actual insane antics that real kids get up to and the kind of beautiful um, conflict resolution that they can develop through imaginary play. So that's the core of Bandit. But then on top of that, he's a great role model for fathers because he is not quite a stay at home dad you know he works but he also spends a lot of time at home 50 50 on domestic chores 50 50 on uh, taking care of the kids and he does domestic chores happily which i think is a huge step forward um for against sexism basically is for dudes to recognize that domestic chores are what like help us have a nice life instead of something that is beneath them. So he's happily doing domestic chores. He's spending time with the kids. He's modeling not only good behavior, but good behavior through constant play. So that kind of just sounds like a bullet list of medicine, of like, here's all the things you tick off to be a good contemporary dad. And and the show is based on modern parenting psychology. But the caveat is that it's also hilarious and heartbreaking, and usually both in in the same episode um because the play that the kids go through is so like wild and inventive it's inevitably hilarious because they're spraying water all over themselves or they're being impossible to wrangle because they're 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 real kids or they're acting like real kids but then it's also heartbreaking because for a new parent you see the magic of parenting in this show and you feel seen
1: I, I had like Derek I hadn't even heard of that show and and in case you didn't notice Kian I I'm a little bit fixated on old pop culture if it's not too yeah. obvious so so yeah, being educated with some it. of this newer stuff is great
0: that's that's a good one
1: man all right uh, Derek you're number one who do
0: you got he's talking about a tough act to follow how do I, I have to follow him why can't you jump <laughs> in next and then I can follow your crappy pick? Uh, <laughs> Crap. all right so I'm actually going to circle back to the beginning because, uh, Kean, the first show that you pulled from on your number five was Game of Thrones. I'm going back to Game of Thrones for my number one pick. And I'm going with Eddard Stark, Ned Stark, played by Sean Bean. Now, I agree with what you said at the top, but I'm going to sort of twist that a little bit and sort of talk about why why I have him on my list. So, Game of Thrones is a TV show, ran from 2011 to 2019, and the first season was 10 episodes. Ned Stark appeared in all 10 And I mean, spoiler, if you haven't watched the show by now, come on. It's been out 21 years. It's been out uh, uh, 11 years. Uh, He gets killed at the end of the finale of season one. And that just sets everything else in motion. I mean, everything else was already in motion, but that's certainly a catalyst to just spark so many things moving forward at lightning speed. Despite the fact that his character is killed at the end of season one, he is referenced in almost every single episode after that. Everybody... All the characters in this world hold him in high regard. Even the people who disliked him, even the people that hated him, even the people that actively killed him constantly praise him for his character, for his his beliefs, for like what some people see as a weakness, other people see as a strength. They talk about how he's honest, he keeps his word, uh you know, he's he's got this this sense of loyalty, this sense of honor. All of which those, uh, those traits he has instilled in his children. In some cases, that has not served them well. As uh, Kean said at the beginning, some of the kids were grossly underprepared for the realities of the world and the political maneuvering because they would like to believe that everybody works under the same rules that their father did because he was such a great man. Unfortunately, so many of them don't. Many of them are corrupt, and and they'll backstab you, and they'll take advantage of you. And th- some of the kids have to really learn that the hard way. Um, but just the the in a show that is all about everybody killing everybody and everybody trying to get ahead at the cost of everybody else, you literally had this one character who was introduced in the very first episode and is killed at the end of the first season, and he's held up as this is what everybody should aspire to be. And even his children held him on that pedestal and said my father was a great man my father is a great man and when he gets killed at the end of the first season that really motivates so many other of the characters including his children to to either carry on the beliefs and the 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 ideals that their father presented or to try and do the right thing because that was what their father had taught them so despite some of the shortfalls and some of the things that his character may not have adequately prepared his children for i think there was more Good than not, uh out of his life lessons, and so he's my number one pick. uh a, a, Like I said, as it just so happens chronologically, it was my newest show on my list, but he was my number one all along. So I'm going with Ned Stark. All right, okay, my number one, <clears throat> Derek. I know you you
1: would probably think that I would go with Howard Cunningham from Happy Days here. Yes, I you know would much... bet big money on <laughs> it yeah, <laughs> I love Happy Days. I love Fonzie. All that stuff, but I. I actually didn't think Tom Bosley was, was the greatest TV dad. And one thing that's always stood out to me about him was, especially once that show got really, really big, he started wearing shades on set. <laughs> like, like I'm talking like he was wearing, like, sunglasses in character on the show. I'm like, really? Yeah. You're inside a house in Milwaukee. Like, it's just this vanity thing. Like, the the dude thought he was this big Hollywood star. It was just that's something that's just dumb and it's always stood out to me. So when I was thinking about who should be number one on my list, I came up with a couple qualities that that I thought, you know, they needed to have to be number one. So the dad needed to be a calming presence. I thought that the dad needed to have integrity and needed to have a strong sense of ethics. So for me this is all a, a huge part and, and it really is the makeup of Mike Brady so Robert Reed played Mike Brady on the Brady Bunch and it was probably the first TV dad that I actually have a memory of the the show ran from 69 to 74 but the thing was it played endlessly in syndication back in the 70s and uh, that but when I that's when I was a little kid and I was watching it and he was always there to teach the kids a lesson like he was he was the epitome of doing the right thing. I remember in 1988 they did a very Brady Christmas. I don't know if you guys ever remember that. But Yep, I remember. Remember remember he got fired because he wouldn't cut corners on his architecture work. So, I I just I think he was an interesting TV character for a lot of other reasons too because if you, you know, you consider the fact that he's basically this perfect father and yet off camera Robert Reed just suffered personally because he couldn't be open about his homosexuality. Back in the 70s, this would have killed his career, right? So he kept it a secret. And his cast members knew, you know, I mean, they worked with him closely. And and I think for anyone that's ever done any acting, like, you know, you really work closely with your fellow actors, like, you know. Um, and I remember years later, the cast, I think it was mostly Florence Henderson and Barry Williams, they, they talked about how they knew, they knew about him. But they respected his wishes and they kept it a secret. And the thing was, all the suffering that this guy went through, none of it impacted his work. He was, in my mind, and always will be, the best TV dad ever, so he's number one on my list. Derek, sometimes you have um, like some honorable mentions, did any come out of this list for you?
0: Yeah, I, I actually had one honorable mention, I just want to get to real quick, and it's sort of a cheat. So. The honorable mention I've got is from the television show Smallville, which ran from 2001 to 2011, and that is the father of Superman, Jonathan Kent, played by John Schneider, who many of us remember as one of the Duke boys from the yes. Dukes of Hazard. So it's kind of a cheat because Superman was a character not written for TV. Uh, obviously, he was written in DC Comics. He came out in the, the late 1930s or 1940s, rather. Um, but uh, the idea that Superman is the most powerful person on the planet and he comes to earth as a child and is essentially a blank slate and anything could happen but he has these parents that love him and nurture him and teach him right from wrong and instill these core values these these middle america core values of what it means to work hard and protect other people and do the right thing at all costs and and Everything that the character of Superman has always stood for and people Everybody knows what, who Superman is and everyone just takes for granted that Superman is the pinnacle of what every superhero should aspire to be He's great and he's powerful and he can fight off any villain but what people often forget is if Superman had been taught differently as a child You would have Homelander from The Boys. You would have a character of unstoppable power doing whatever he wants because there's no checks and balances. And yet you have Jonathan Kent as the human father to Superman who raised him from a child, even though the child at any point could use his superpowers to, you know, break dad's arm or laser beam him through the face. But Jonathan Kent teaches Superman how to be a good person. And I think that that's an important thing that people need to remember when they think about superman but because it was really the character was drawn from the comic books the show came out in 2001 by then you had 60 years of comic book lore to draw from so it's kind of a cheat that's why i didn't put it on my Mm. list but i i don't think a list of tv dads could be complete without just giving a shout out to the tv dads who who have molded superman over the years
1: you know before we move on and we get to trivia and we have some fun with that i want to talk briefly but just about something i think i think i need to address this none of us mentioned bill cosby as a tv dad and he was basically the tv dad of the 80s cliff, cliff Huxtable, right he was he was everything a tv dad should be right and and the thing was you know he was everything that a tv dad wasn't up until that point like you know tv in the 80s you you still had black characters grossly underrepresented on television and then along comes the cosby show you've got this well educated well off, intelligent, professional black couple, and they're they're depicted on TV, which was a huge departure. And 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 not only was the show about a black family, it was about a family that I think everyone could relate to. A TV Guide named Clift Huxtable as the number one T V dad of all time as recently as 2017. But with all we've learned about Bill Cosby, you know, this affects the way we look at his character, I think, doesn't it? Like now, before we get into it, like this is a debate that has happened time and time again when it comes to performers and artists that are, you know, how can I say, less than ethical in their personal lives. Like, there's a long list of of bad people that have created great art over the years. If you think of people like like Woody Allen or Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey, Louis Louis C.K. You can even go all the way back to people like Roman Polanski or Fatty Arbuckle or Errol Flynn. But the question is. Can you separate the art from the artist? Do, do either of you have an opinion on this? Maybe I'll start with you, Derek, because I don't want to throw Kian into
0: the the den on this. But like, what's your opinion on this? Like, so, obviously, it affects the way we look at them. You think? Yeah, I mean, this honestly, Chris, we could go into it into a discussion for a whole hour. This could be a whole other show. Um, but I think this is this is a topic that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I think the safe hmm. answer is to say, you know, if you're an artist in any medium, TV, movie, whatever, and you do something in real life that is deplorable, despicable, criminal, unforgivable, it definitely taints the work you've done before. Think of O.J. Simpson. Think of all the football records he had as an athlete. And then he kills, or quote, is accused of killing his wife. You're not looking back and talking about how great he was as an athlete anymore. And I think with Bill Cosby, it's the same thing. That's 100% why he did not make my list. It's like, now we know what we know. I can't separate that even Will Smith to a lesser extent. Honestly, I had to really debate putting Will, putting uncle Phil on this list because of what has recently happened with Will Smith. It's like, well, you know, can you separate the art, the artist from their art? I, I don't know that you can, and I don't necessarily know that you should. Mm. So I, I don't, I don't regret Bill Cosby, uh, rather, uh, Cliff Huxtable not being on these lists. Um, but, uh, You know it's definitely something that that you can debate uh over and over again Uh, you can't under uh undersell the importance of that character in the moment but knowing what we know now it certainly taints it to the point where you know here we are we just Mm -hmm. picked 15 tv dads and none of us brought them up it's like well that's your legacy but you 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 ruined it by doing these deplorable things Kian, I don't want to like put you on the
2: spot or get
1: controversial, but like, can you no, separate the art from the it's artist? Cool. What do you think?
2: Well, I, I mean, I I think that there's I think less than separating the art from the artist because I'm I I don't think that's possible unless you have an anonymous artist or an enormous amount of history, like much more so than we'd be able to for a TV show. An enormous amount of history has gone by, then you can pick and choose. But I still think that you want to be aware of those complications, and you want to be. It's just like when you read something super old, like Mark Twain and you see the racism inherent in those works, you need to be aware of that, and you need to unpack that consciously. But in particular with the example of, of Cosby, it wasn't called The Cliff Huxtable Show. It was called The Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that association built off of his previous work as a stand-up comic so much that it was read by so many people as being and if not autobiographical because you know obviously wasn't a doctor in some way pseudo-autobiographical we, we thought and naively and i mean i was a kid at the time i definitely felt this that that was that character was caused me. and so i feel like the revelations of, of the crimes that he committed was a betrayal and yes the character was this incredible representation for the black community and so then he, what he did was an incredible betrayal of the black community, and especially for representations of fathers and, and masculine figures is a very thorny issue for black people in the United States of America. So to have that icon, that potential icon, torn away from them because of the acts of the actor in the real world, I don't think we can ignore it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible. And you know, I think a big
1: part of the debate, too, is how much times have changed. Luckily, we've progressed as a society and, and people can call it being woke or whatever the hell they want to call it to make them sleep at night. But the bottom line is the world has changed. And you think about it, in the past, if you were into drugging, you know, women, you're, oh, no big deal. We'll let that slide. You know, you, you killed someone drinking and driving. No big deal. You can still work. But heaven forbid, if, if, if you're gay, you're never going to work again you know but, but times have changed and we obviously have a long way to go but I think you know when when an actor like Neil Patrick Harris can be open about his sexuality and still get work and when a predator like Bill Cosby is shunned I think we're at least headed in the right direction so uh, and like, like Derek's you know pointed out 15 top TV dads and he didn't make the list right Mm, for probably for good reason. Okay, so uh, great list, guys. Uh, I thought uh, Key had really brought the goods. It was some very interesting
0: ones. Yeah. And he, educated he did this me. to school, man. Let's, yeah. just, let's just put it that way. You know hey, I'm just going to be talking for coming about coming on the show, but I don't want you back on. You're making us look bad, man. Like worth, inviting worth Michael peps. Jordan to your pickup game and going, wow, that guy really showed us what it's like to do this. I, I got to really reevaluate the decisions I've made up until now. It's like this guy wrote a book or
1: something, man. He is fantastic. Kidding. All right. Time now to have some fun with Caveman. We've spent a lot of time talking about TV dads. And one big thing for me about TV dads has been their occupation. So the occupation of the TV dad is a big part of the character, I think, in a lot of ways. So here's what we're going to do. And I'll put this out to both of you guys. But we'll let, we'll let Kean answer first, if he can. And if, if Kean can't get it, Derek, you'll be his lifeline. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to name the actor, the TV dad that they played, and then I'll even give you the show they were on. You just have to tell me what the TV dad did for a living on that show. Okay. Oh boy. Start nice and easy here. I I, really easy one. Okay. So we got Tim Allen. He played Tim Taylor on home improvement from 91 to 99. What did Tim Taylor do for a living on that show? Do you know?
2: Yeah. He was like a, he was like I'm not sure the exact term would be because he, he was he was a reality TV star essentially he was like a home improvement oh. guy yes
1: yes he was the host of Tool Time very good see alright Andy Griffith who played Andy Taylor on the Andy Griffith show back from 1960 to 1968 do you remember what Andy Taylor did for a living on that show
2: I believe he was he was a police officer
1: he was yes he was the sheriff of Mayberry alright Brian Cranston played Walter White on Breaking Bad from 2008 to 2013. What did he do for a living?
2: Well, he was initially a chemist teacher, and then he became a mafioso. Yes.
1: I would have also accepted meth manufacturer. would have been (laughs) fine. Okay. Reginald Vell Johnson played Carl Winslow on Family Matters from 1989 to 1998. What did Carl Winslow do for a living?
2: Oh, this might just be Die Hard seeping into my brain, but I believe he was also a police officer. Yes!
1: He was a police officer in Chicago. No doubt, probably cast because of his popularity (laughs) as the cop in Die Hard, so that's a good point. All right, Sherman Hemsley played George Jefferson on The Jeffersons from 1975 to 1985. What did George Jefferson do for a living?
2: Oh, oh No. I mean, I think it was something white collar, but that's all I've got.
1: Derek, can you come in as a lifeline? What did George yeah. Jefferson do for a living?
0: He owned a uh, he owned a chain of uh, laundromats dry cleaning. Yes. Correct. He was a dry cleaning
1: business owner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ray Romano played Ray Barone on Everyone Loves Raymond from 1996 to 2005. What did his character Ray Barone do for a living?
2: Was he a mechanic or something?
0: He was not a mechanic. Derek, do you know? Oh, uh, well, I never watched the show, but I'm I'm going to say a school teacher. I'm sorry, he
1: was a sports writer for Newsday. Oh, that's writer. right. Yeah. Okay, the aforementioned bespectacled one, Tom Bosley, played Howard Cunningham on Happy Days from 1974 to 1984. But what did Howard Cunningham do for a living? Do you
2: remember? I don't know what anyone did for a living back then. Yeah, Derek, no. Uh, I want to say he,
0: I, I think, I now don't buzz me yet. I want to just talk through this. I want to say he was the owner of a small business called Cunningham's, and I want to say it was a hardware store or a grocery store. I'm saying a hardware store. He was the owner of a hardware store. Very good. There okay.
1: we now, this one was voiced by Alan Reed, Fred Flintstone from the Flintstones ran from 1960 to 1966. What did Fred Flintstone do for a living? Do you remember?
2: The caveman equivalent of like a construction worker or a factory worker?
1: Yes, I'll accept that. He was a Bronto crane operator at Slate Rock. Very good. All right. So we already mentioned this one. Um, Derek, you're not allowed to be a lifeline because you already mentioned this. James Avery played Philip Banks on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air from 1990 to 1996. What did Philip Banks
2: do for a living? He was a lawyer and then a judge.
1: Yes. He was a senior partner at Firth, Wynn, and Myers, not to be confused with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. <laughs> uh, this was already mentioned again. So, Derek, you have to, s- to sit out of this one. Alan Thicke, who played Jason Seaver on Growing Pains from 85 to 92. What did Jason Seaver do for a living? Psychiatrist. All right, two more. You're nailing these. You're killing it. Okay, Bob Sagan was a great TV dad, too, by the way. Danny Tanner on Full House from 87 to 95. Do you remember what Danny Tanner did for a
0: living on that show? Whoa, no. Was he like a real estate agent or something? He was not. Derek, any idea? Yeah. Although I didn't watch the show, he was the host of a morning talk show like Good Morning America. Bonus points if you can name the show that he hosted. Oh, it was like... Good morning, San Francisco. Oh,
1: it's so close. I'm gonna. Hello, San Francisco. <laughs> ah, I'm Wake up, San Francisco. Wake up. San
0: Francisco. Uh, I, I knew it was something on the West Coast because I remember the, the Golden Gate Bridge was in yeah. the title sequence. Again, exactly. I didn't watch the show that often, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. All right, last one. I'm gonna go with a newer show
1: just for you, Derek, because I know I'm not sure like this. But, uh, kian can you? I don't know if you ever watched How I Met Your Mother, but Josh Radner played Ted Mosby. On that show. Oh, yeah. And it ran from 2005 to 2014. What did Ted Mosby do for a living on that show?
2: I've never seen that show. So I'm just going to yeah, guess I... the most 2005 job I can think of, which is software developer. No. No. Derek?
0: Well, some people might think that he was a model for red cowboy boots, which would be wrong, but I could see why you'd think that. Uh, no, he was an architect.
1: Yes, he was an architect. You guys did awesome. You got almost everyone. I think there was just one you didn't get, maybe. It was Ray Burone, was the only one other than that. You did good. Big thanks to our guest this week, Kean Cruz. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh Kean is has a new book out. It's called Dad Bod. It's available wherever you buy your books. You can get it on Amazon. That's where I got mine. And you can follow Kean on Twitter at Kean Cruz, which is C-I-A-N-C-R-U-I-S-E. Kean Cruz. And if you're looking for just a great book to read, you know, whether you're a dad or not, it's got all kinds of pop culture stuff in it. So give it a go. Dad bod. Kian, thanks for joining us on the show.
2: We Really appreciate it thank you so much for having me yeah
1: best of luck with the book and i hope that you know everything goes well and i hope your book tier continues really well and uh derek since we did our pop culture fantasy draft for 1986 recently uh you nominated big trouble in little china which we did on our last show and then i nominated stand by me but then we got a little bit sidetracked you know with our summer vacations and everything so i'll tell you what we'll come back next time with our review of stand by me you ready to do that one
0: Oh, absolutely. It's a great movie.
1: I can't wait to talk about it. See if it it holds up, right? So make sure you come back and join us next time out when we discuss Rob Reiner's 1986 film Stand By Me. And until then, it's Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pub Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at pubgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.